Don't forget there is a live Bugle show in London on the 13th of November at the Odeon in Leicester Square, uh, which I think means that it'll be, you know, a gala black tie event with uh, stars of stage and screen and uh, royalty. Are they all coming? Have they all confirmed the royal family? I think they tend to reply quite late. Oh, right, the okay. invites are all out. Yeah. Come well. dressed as the cast of the Rocky Horror Picture Show and really confuse everyone. <laughs> Audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4207 of The Bugle, the very special 501st full episode of this podcast. Uh, we are recording on the 4th of October 2021. Uh, we slightly forgot about the 500th episode last week due to having skipped, uh, well, 3,000. 700 odd episodes in between 294 and 4001 um but anyway this is it so we're, we're celebrating it this week the 501st laraversary of the bugle in honor of brian lara's highest first class score in cricket a far more significant number than than 500 but we have now done more than a half a thousand full episodes of this show and if you told me 50 years ago that I would be hosting a podcast that was doing its 501st episode. I wouldn't have believed you. I mean, I was still just over three years away from being born, aside from anything else, and so I was still in the government's secret refrigerated laboratory where they store British embryoids before assigning one to a British woman who then has to pretend to be pregnant before supposedly giving birth to a Brit. I mean, it's not the most outlandish conspiracy theory you've heard recently, but I'm living testament to it being true. But the point is, over half a thousand episodes... Of this show, not including some episodes, uh, that means there's only 49,499 to go before we wrap it up with the 50,000th episode spectacular in the year. Let me just work this out. Uh, round about 3260, I think. We'll probably have the odd hiatus here and there for various reasons, but I reckon we'll keep churning them out around uh, 40 a year, unless they change the, the lengths of years or weeks, or maybe Britain will go back to some kind of lunar calendar as part of the inevitable post-Brexit readjustment phase. Half... A thousand episodes. That is around about 300 hours of pure, unadulterated part truth splurted into this universe of doubt. And if you were to transcribe every single episode of The Bugle in the style of an illuminated medieval manuscript, it would take you, at a rough estimate, depending on how fancy you got with the opening letters of each paragraph, and I'm just making it up now, 38 years and four months. That's working eight-hour days with 20 days holiday a year. Now, if anyone is interested in that job, do drop us an email, but you're going to have to be cheaper than buying a printer and some knockoff ink and bring your own <laughs> quills. Joining me for this momentous uh, occasion, um, from the other side of the world, firstly, the now very, very nearly 100% pregnant Alice Fraser. <laughs> um, uh, welcome, Alice. Well, what's the, what's the current stat um, in terms of percentage I, I don't think it's too much to say uh, that I am now what 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 uh, the the technical boffins down at the lab would call massively pregnant. <laughs> I always like to put it in a yeah more numerical term, so we'll go with you know ninety nine point nine four percent pregnant, a good Australian number. Yeah. Um, um, also joining us to keep the number of people currently harbouring another person inside them to acceptable levels, currently residing in Perth, Australia, it's James Nakise. Uh, hello, James. I, I am pregnant with joy. 
The best, the best form of. I mean, I've always found that with joy as well. It takes me nine months to get really happy about anything, minimum. Um, so, uh, and and how's uh, how's a Perth treating us? Perth, Perth has has had sort of quite a sort of but strict lockdown, hasn't it? And and you know, no one going in and out of Western Australia. Yeah, I mean, we've had we've had a strict lockdown, and that we've just locked down the entire state <laughs> as one house, and then no one's allowed in or out. Uh, I'm very wary of saying this to anyone else who's in Australia, especially someone like Alice who's been in Sydney. Um, uh, normally, I just go, it's okay, uh, and make sure I always film indoors. That's the key, Andy, in these situations. <laughs> make sure the camera is indoors. Well, I mean, I, this is really a good a good thing for Western Australia and indeed for Queensland, which is similarly having closed its borders, not at all locked down. Uh, because those two of those are the two states that really want to secede the most from Australia, <laughs> uh, in 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 that way of thinking themselves both more Australian and less Australian than the rest of Australia. Yes, well, I, I, mean, feel, of I feel like I've been here long enough, and Alice might be able to concur. The reason they locked down Western Australia is basically because no one trusted Western Australians to stay in their house. <laughs> <laughs> Like these, these cashed out bogans are too loose, mate. <laughs> well, of course, um, the, the UK seceded from Australia. What was it, 1900, I think, that, that we withdrew from Australia? I can't remember. Um, There's still a place on the Federation papers for New Zealand to sign on if you want. <laughs> I think we're taking Western Australia. I think that's what happens next. <laughs> Sandwich manoeuvre, I like it. Uh, we are recording on the 4th of October 2021. Today is International International Awareness Day, Awareness Day, to raise people's awareness of all the awareness days that we need to be aware of. We should also pause to remember on this day the several million krill that died 25 years ago today due to all the whales being hungry. Uh, a special section this week in the bin um, is the 501 section, the Bugle Lara anniversary. Now, Brian Lara uh, broke the record for the highest individual score in first-class cricket, 501 not out in 1994, playing for Warwickshire against Durham. 13 years later, Brian Lara retired from international cricket, and only six months after the great left-handers' final international match, the Bugle came into existence. And now some 14 years later, the Bugle is still going, and Lara is still retired. And as long as he stays retired, we will stay bugling, because the world needs one <laughs> or the other of the Bugle or Brian Lara playing international cricket. Either the scintillating batsmanship and fascinating career fluctuations of Brian Lara or me and my guests banging on about the news. So we're keeping going until Lara comes out of retirement. And he is now aged, I don't know, 50-odd, I reckon. So uh, it's probably going to come down to us, I think. Uh, he shook my hand as a child. Did he? Match in Australia. Yeah, I was, I was a right. big fan of Brian Lara. Well, that, I mean, that, congratulations. That's the correct way to be as a, as a human being and indeed a cricket <laughs> fan. Uh, for our special 501st episode, we have been inundated with tributes from our colleagues in the worlds of media and showbiz. Uh, this one, for example, we can only know that we know nothing, and that is the highest degree of human wisdom. Uh, that's from Leo Tolstoy. Uh, truth is like the sun. You can shut it out for a time, but it ain't going away. 
Elvis Presley. Thanks for that, uh, Elvis. And simplicity and sincerity generally go hand in hand as both proceed from a love of truth, uh, Mary Wollstonecraft. Now, none of them were specifically talking about the bugle, to be fair, and none of them are really relevant. But still, it says a lot about this podcast that the likes of Leo, Elvin, Mazza were prepared to take some time out from their schedules to pay homage uh, to this show. Uh, and... To mark the 501st episodes, we look at um, a few other things, of which there have been or are 501. Uh, there were 501 body doubles of Queen Victoria uh, that were used in the early days of postage stamps before they changed the law that said uh, that every individual stamp had to have a hand-painted portrait of the monarch from a licensed and witnessed sitting. After a couple of years, Queen Victoria went off-grid in protest, and the government hired 501 Victoria lookalikes, plentiful in those days, of course, to stick uh, to sit for the stamps. Uh, there, uh, 501 is also the number of different news stories in history. They're now just being endlessly recycled with different names and technical jargon cut and pasted in. And, of course, uh, 501 is the number of uh, different attempts it took Levi Strauss before he got trousers right. Um, famously, the 501 <laughs> jeans were launched in the 1890s after 500 previous prototypes fell by the legway wayside, including the twos that had the waist sewn together and were impossible to put on. The 19s, the monoleg design, proved to be restrictive and unpopular. The 46s with built-in ankle blades were deemed too lacerative. And the 165s with their single-length legs scandalised 1880s America by being uh, only just below the knee of the taller customers, uh, the exposed calves of a, of a young jeans wearer at the inauguration of President Harrison in 1889 caused uh, new First Lady Caroline to suffer a swooning from which she never truly recovered. The Levi 214s had revolutionary rear pockets made of salt crystals which were visually striking but proved buttock exposingly soluble in anything more than light rain and the 542s were the first attempt to fuse new electricity technology with clothing to make trousers that lit up when the wearer started running using an early dynamo withdrawn after a spate of crotch singings. Famously, Levi Strauss, when asked about so many experiments, uh, said, I haven't, I haven't failed to make uh, jeans 501 times. I've learned 501 ways not to make a light bulb. <laughs> well, there you go. And that concludes our special 501 section. Top story this week, supply chain chaos uh, around the world. And uh, while supply chains love them or hate them, they're really important to supplying stuff. Um, and uh, they've been in chaos uh, around the world. And of course, much of the time, supply chains are hidden from public view. The Santa Clausian magic of modern logistics providing those of us in the fortunate echelons of Team Human with what we want, when we want, and what we think we need when we pretend we need it. But at the moment, there is chaos around the world. I mean, how's things in, in Australia from a supply chain point of view? I mean, they're, they're, they're fairly all right, Andy. Um, right. You know, things, things might be taking a little longer to deliver uh, during COVID times, but they are... They are still going uh, fairly well. It's astonishing how quickly people in the modern world have gotten entirely accustomed to pressing a button and then within days having a stranger deliver a silicon oven mitt, 13 tiny gnome shoes for their lockdown madness garden gnome installation, a bucket of protein powder and a sign that says, leave, laugh, love, which you can't tell whether it's a misspelling <laughs> or some Brexit-based satire out of the People's Republic of China. Uh, but uh, apparently in Britain it's not, not so good. Uh, no. British shoppers have been warned to expect a nightmare Christmas with limited stock on the shelves and higher prices. But I suggest the nightmare has already begun. So this is more like what you would call a nightmare before Christmas if you have very boring nightmares about supply chain issues. <laughs> Every um, look, I'm, I'm Jewish. Every Christmas is a f 
fucking nightmare. Cost us a lot of market share. Um, I'm, I'm a Pacific Islander. Every English Christmas is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> what were they going to do? Go out and play? What are those? <laughs> Well, according to the t- Times, a lot of families are not going to be able to have a turkey for Christmas Day, uh, which is a big relief to people who think turkey is a boring food with little to recommend it. Uh, and also that uh, we've been warned that presents under the tree may not meet expectations. But to be fair, they never do. How can any gift <laughs> unwrapped match the unparalleled possibilities of a wrapped gift? Also, it's a great excuse. Supply chain issues is a great excuse for parents who give dud gifts. Sorry, Santa's <laughs> European and couldn't get a visa to get into the country. <laughs> so here's your box of splinters. Um, I mean, it, it does turn out that you know the, the supply is it's, it's a complex web of interconnected industries, um, and it's necessary. Um, to mean that, you know, that, you know, when I want a doner kebab delivered direct into my mouth in the comfort of my own living room at 3 a.m., <laughs> you know, it should only take three taps on my phone to make it happen. And, you know, that's just a basic human right. But we don't, we don't appreciate everything that is needed to make that, to make, to make that possible. And, and particularly here in, in Britain. I mean, um, Chris, have you, um, have you spent much of the week, you know, queuing up for pet? I mean, I know you have various other forms of transport, uh, notably, you know, swimming cycling and running in quick succession um but you know have you spent have you been panic queuing this week i've done the full christmas shop right um including my daughter's presents my wife's present which is the same thing because i just thought i'd like you know scale it down a bit and um and i've i've ordered all of the food now the i guess the one worry i have is that it might have gone off by december but that's a risk i'm prepared to take (laughs) Well, according to The Grocer magazine, which is a magazine I've just discovered exists and now want to see the sexy centrefold of, <laughs> the big producers of turkeys have reduced the number of birds they're rearing by about 20%, uh, not because there aren't enough uh, anything, but because they fear because of Brexit they won't be able to find seasonal workers to pluck and pack and deliver the birds in, in December. And uh, Paul Kelly of Kelly Bronze fame pointed out, a turkey after Christmas Day is worth nothing. Depreciates more than a car, uh, <laughs> but yeah, all, all over the place. The workers who keep these global supply chains moving are putting their hands up to suggest that it's all going to come down, crashing down around our ears. Uh, a lot of these workers seem to be in the tricky situation um, where they've been told to get out uh, because they were taking everyone's jobs. Um, yes, and, and now they're being asked to come back in. So maybe everyone in England could just gift each other on theme um, a little, just a, a, a blank piece of paper with the words a consequence and just have a, a new <laughs> the, a the, new the, Christmas tradition of hubris the, uh, the, the, every the, December. The, the words consequence and hubris are not in any dictionary in this country. Uh, that, that is a new government uh, law, actually, that just came out last week to remove those <laughs> words from the dictionary. This was after Boris Johnson was seen physically tearing... Uh, all the pages uh, out uh, from a dictionary um, for words beginning R-E-S-P and uh, just to be on the safe side, also tearing out any pages that had a word ending in onsibility, onsible or ect as well. Um, and uh, Boris Johnson really has been, you know, as always, leading from the disused fridge out the back of his house uh, on this. He's, and I mean, it's largely a ceremonial role these days being prime minister. Um, but 
He's given a couple of extraordinary interviews. We have this, this, not only the petrol crisis, and just to give you a quick update on the petrol crisis and the panic that it has instilled in this country, um, people have been seen uh, squirting unleaded petrol directly down their throats, then running home and vomiting it into the waiting mouths of their young. Uh, a life-size cardboard cutout of the action movie star Vin Diesel was stolen from outside a multiplex in Tunbridge Wells. And uh, heartbroken fuel fans have been desperately begging for service station staff where there's no fuel left to just describe the smell of petrol to them whilst weeping I miss it so much. One of, one of the contestants on the Great British Bake Off this week made a cake in the shape of a petrol pump and said, I hope it's a magic cake or I'll never be able to get home. I mean, we are really at breaking points. In um, in fact, one person I'm just reading about was seen shoving dead plant matter and algae into their petrol tanks while screaming, can you please turn into fuel in less than a million years or I'm going to miss my macrame lesson. We are you know, at breaking point as a nation. Well, on the bright side, the gambling industry is going well. People are laying odds on the next thing, which is going to be shortaged. <laughs> yeah, short, shortages. It's, um, it's a very lucrative, uh, lucrative market. But Boris Johnson has told us that, that this, and also the pig cull schmozzle, um, where hundreds of thousands of British pigs are unable to be executed for sausages as they were destined to be because of a shortage of uh, of workers. And Johnson told us that the, the petrol crisis and the, and the pig culture model are essentially part of a necessary period of readjustment after Brexit. Now, I, I did... Do any of the rest of you remember that from the sides of the buses? You know, the, 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 you know, the promises of hundreds of thousands of unkilled pigs roaming, roaming the country. I mean, it was, I, I remember the sort of 350 million quid a week for the NHS and the big posters of uh, people coming over here to do our jobs for us. But I don't remember the unsausaged pigs posters and I feel let down. I think it's because you weren't watching for the whole amount of time, Andy. Oh, there was possibly. the bus, and then behind the bus, there was a little minivan with a pig just kind of tapping a watch. <laughs> well, he, he can't... This is the problem. Boris Johnson can't sort of understand the mind of the, of the everyman. He sort of... He tried to deflect questions about the pig problem, which is all these hundreds of thousands of pigs having to be uh, massacred and disposed of because they can't be eaten by people by saying, well, it's not like they weren't going to be slaughtered anyway. But, of course... Uh, he doesn't understand that, you know, your average everyman might not enjoy the idea of wasting, you know, pig lives or, or perfectly <laughs> good food because he comes from a, a milieu in which a hobby of theirs is going together to spit wine on the floor. Like that's <laughs> that's what a wine tasting is. They just they just spit wine everywhere. He also suggested that the reason that the petrol shortage is so bad is because they don't have enough truck drivers and that's because more women haven't been attracted to the job. Uh, that the truck industry isn't welcoming enough to women, uh, which I just think is top-notch deflection. <laughs> He's like, women don't want to piss in bushes, and that's why you don't have petrol. <laughs> oh, I knew it was women's fault. It always is. Always is. <laughs> I think, to be fair to Boris Johnson, this is neither the most embarrassing or stressful moment for the Tories involving a pig. <laughs> Also, I want to say this directly to Boris Johnson. I will piss in a bush. (laughs) I have no problems. That is not the issue here. Uh, one of the, the the issues with the, with the pig 
situation is um, a lack of British youngsters who are keen to make a living slaughtering animals uh, for whatever reason. Goddamn snowflakes. I mean, when my generation was their age, we weren't even allowed out of the house in the morning till we'd slain a cow, a pig, a sheep and a bucket of chicken in the mini abattoirs all homes <laughs> had in those days. But the modern generation aren't as tough as... Uh, well, the problem is, is that if when you're young, if you walk around going, yo, man, I just want to kill some pigs, then immediately the <laughs> cops stop, search you, get a little mark next to your name. I, mean, I do think it's not, we're not very far away from the government claiming longer, happier lives for British piggies as a benefit of Brexit. I, I think that is <laughs> within the next week. Keep, keep an eye on the news. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was worried, to be honest, about the pig's breakfast of pigs not being made into things you can eat for breakfast. But on the plus side, they do become kosher if they're not eaten. So there's that uh, to cling to. And it's uh, a sign of us escaping the tyranny of Brussels that forced, forced, I tell you, all of Britain's industries to hire the cheapest available labour. Is it now known as a Brexit full English, then? If it's just um, a full English without bacon? is it a without, well, or Full English with just a live, overweight pig um, on the plate. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, just progress. a plate like a on a pig. Lattes you can get in Melbourne. <laughs> the, decons, the reconstructed <laughs> sausage. Yeah. That's very farm to table. It, extremely. I mean, in terms of the global supply chain, is in America, container ships stuck uh, in, a, in a major clogging off the coast of the USA. Toys, clothing, furniture, basic common sense, justice, and facts all running in dangerously at short supply uh, once again in the USA. There are power cuts in China. Uh, leading to concerns that Chinese factories might not might not be able to make all the shit we need to keep our economies going, uh, and they might have to switch on uh, switch to more environmentally friendly forms of dissent suppression and ethnic cleansing, which uh, could uh, exacerbate the power crisis. Dried noodles in Russia are in short supply. Could this be what finally brings Vladimir Putin down? No. Uh, and in Britain, this. Shortage of lorry drivers, which has led to a shortage of fuel at service stations, as we talked about, which has led to a shortage of calm equanimity in queues at service stations. People have been drawing knives on each other. There have been fist fights uh, over fuel, and it's uh, led to a you know a classic shortage of leadership from the government um, as well. And there might even, just reading today, be a problem supplying English cricketers to Australia uh, for their quadrennial thrashing, uh, which um, shows how deep. Supply chain issues go. It didn't really affect me the, the, the fuel crisis. I've got a very British car indeed, which is fuel surely quite... anti. Surely anti. The bigger issue is whether England's supply of South African cricketers will remain intact. <laughs> well, that's actually dr dried up quite alarmingly, which um, is reflected in England's recent results. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> but the uh, the fuel crisis didn't affect me. I have a very British car indeed, which is fueled by a burning sense of pride in our role in the industrial revolution. <laughs> The problem, Andy, is all these networks are breaking down. People don't trust experts anymore. They also don't trust workers or business owners or landlords or tenants or politicians or institutional power or teachers or teens or the everyman who's probably an anti-vaxxer or the privileged middle-class head or the police who are probably a rapist. And it turns out that the whole of society up until now has rested on a fragile web of trust and accountability in systems that, although flawed, more or less worked. And now the fire hose of the information age has just forcibly sprayed out of the garage roof corner of modern life we're suddenly realizing that the that particular spider of trust was the one bringing us luck by keeping away the flies of christmas nightmare right i mean that that's uh, you know an interesting way of putting it and certainly not the way that the, the government have been uh, portraying it certainly not in those terms um anyway uh and personally i think it was all kind of inevitable the moment that uh we left um the caves we used to live in 30,000 years ago and started wanting to move around. Um, it's, it's been downhill ever since, I mean, arguably since, you know, we 
we moved out of the sea that we lived in so happily until half a billion years ago, until some over-curious f***ing fish thought, I wonder what's over there. And uh, that's uh, that's what I'd blame more than Brexit. I do feel bad for the British because we stopped you guys, uh, stopped allowing you guys to colonise and it, it's all just fallen apart, hasn't it? Well, I don't think you, you you stopped us. I think we chose we we chose not we chose to let the world go its own way. Um, that's that's you know, often how a breakup a, works. It was a mentoring yeah. scheme, James. It's been very badly represented <laughs> by historians. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is interesting that the um, depending on, I used to live in Brixton uh, before the apocalypse, and if there was a knife at the petrol station, that was a community problem. But now. In like Windsor, when there's a knife at the petrol station, that's a government problem. <laughs> Robots news now. And, uh, well, it's now official. Uh, humanity is going to be overtaken by robot life within probably a decade or two. Uh, there's no escaping it now. Uh, the robots are on their way. Uh, Amazon have proudly announced that they believe that in five to ten years' time, every home will have at least one robot as part of everyday life, to which there are two responses. One, f*** off! <laughs> Stop trying to strip all the humanity out of humanity. And uh, two, only one robot? Why only one robot? We need more, not just in the home. We need it in all top-level politics. Only when it's completely robotized will we be able to sleep comfortably in our beds at night without waking up in a cold sweat screaming who's prime minister i'm sorry granddad i'm so sorry um uh, how excited are you both by the prospect of uh, an amazon robot being um part of every single family in the known universe within 10 years first of all hats off to amazon because they've they've looked at a global pandemic and thought how could we raise the stakes and um <laughs> And they've introduced a robot which, uh, again, really just screams Jeff Bezos. It, 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 they think it's cute. It's the creepiest damn thing. <laughs> it's, they've called it Alexa on Wheels. Like, that isn't a Hollywood pitch right now for a horror series. <laughs> and I think, I think at some point we have to understand that if you put a robot in every house in the world, we're the pets of the robot. <laughs> A wealthy friend of mine has just offered me her $2,000 robot crib, uh, which senses your baby's cries and rocks it with increasing velocity until the baby either shoots into space or accepts the robot as its proxy mother and they begin to plot against you. I, I did say yes because I didn't have a crib and you don't have to plug it in. So it can just be a normal overpriced place to put your baby. And if it can plug itself in, all the best of luck to it. Uh, we're done for anyway. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't have a crib, and, and then. But this is like this is also an inheritance thing. Apparently, when when we were born as twins, Dad was like, "Don't we need a crib?" And Mum said, "We can just pull out a drawer, and <laughs> put a towel in it." <laughs> Not, oh God, we need a robot to go down that route. Um, I'm sort of terrified by the prospect of this robot crib, but it's it's sitting in my study, staring at me. So. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna. I reckon it's gonna prove too tempting at some point, just to see. Well, my friend swears what, by it or prays to it. I can't tell which. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just don't know any bit of literature where a robot has raised a child that's worked out well. <laughs> well Amazon has suggested that it's not just for children. It's a nine hundred and ninety-nine dollar. 
uh, robot, which is 740 pounds. It could be a help to the elderly, though, of course, not the poor elderly. It's no, true. And, and also... Get robot assistance. No, but that's essentially robotizing grandchildren now. So they're not <laughs> going to leave human grandchildren. Just have a have a robot to uh, tell you alarming stories about uh, about the past. So they they say that the robot will be able to patrol your home and alert you if it detects quotes something unusual. Now that is a that is a concerningly vague term for me because unusual. I mean that could range from a servant volleyer in modern professional tennis. That's pretty unusual. It could be hearing a politician give a direct factual answer to a question in an interview. It could be former BBC Sports presenter Desmond Lynham dressed as a pumpkin. Or it could be a giant gloop of sentient alien plasma eating all the pastrami from your fridge. I mean, those, I mean, something unusual is, that's, that's too vague, isn't it? That is too vague a thing to trust a robot with. Yes, absolutely. It's all well and good until you have to watch at a distance through your phone app while your robot vaporizes a squirrel. <laughs> I'm, I'm not keen. They they keep trying to humanize this robot, which I think is the wrong track to go down. You want the robot to be. You want to be sure that the robot is a robot. This robot does beatboxing, uh, but the definition of beatboxing is where you make electronic or sort of percussive noises with your mouth. The robot doesn't have a mouth. It's just being a drum. It says what. So it's not beatboxing. Well, it's, not, it's, not it's, even a, it's not even a drum. It's just a speaker. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> just taking all the romance out of beatboxing. And I, I don't think that's the right way to go. Um, you know how you're always scared that someone's going to discover uh, what you've been looking at online? I just feel like having an entity in the house that already knows before you've got a chance to delete it is a, it's just a socially <laughs> bad idea. <laughs> Especially if that entity has access to your bank account. I just, it's all big red flags jumping up. Uh, the robot revolution is changing the workplace uh, as well. And, you know, don't be complacent, buglers. You might think it's going to be okay for your job. Uh, but progress is progress. And if you are not worried, you should be. Just ask a horse. You know, when the motorbike was invented, they probably thought, yeah, right, no legs and no tail. Good luck with that. You two-wheeled wannabe donkey. Um, but look at it now. Uh, and roboteers in Scotland have been working on robot solutions to medical problems, and they've trained a robot to be, any guesses, anyone? A surgeon, maybe? An anaesthetist? A midwife, perhaps? Uh, a GP that can fire lasers into the ceiling to scare off time wasters who've got a hurty knee? No, they have trained a robot to be a squash coach. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, a robot squash coach has been developed in Scotland. Mamoto Science, solve world hunger first, improve squash coaching methods second. I mean, is this is this progress for humanity to you know have the, the game of squash, which is a sport of incredible craft, skill, athleticism, and speed, and, and squeakiness of shoe, um, to, to have that coached by robots rather than... Is this what we need at the moment as a species? Yes, absolutely. We need the right. robots to do all the dirty, boring jobs that real people don't want to do and squash <laughs> right down there at the bottom of the heap. <laughs> oh, I disagree. You're... I disagree, Alice. I think there's a lot of <laughs> former actors and, and out-of-work stand-up comics who have managed to charm their way into pretending to be a squash coach. <laughs> These robots are coming over here, taking our jobs. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a it's a it's a sport that's been dominated by uh, Egypt in, in recent years. So, uh, Alice, I, I imagine Egypt will be very cross 
with you for your adverse comments about squash. Well, to be fair, men. they are naturally suited to squash. The Egyptian uh, phenotype is, is suited because they're always in three-quarter profile and that <laughs> is the best way to approach a squash ball. <laughs> they have seven men and six women in the current world top tens and no sport has been this dominated by Egypt since they were absolutely bossing the professional least space-efficient means of burial circuit um, back, <laughs> back in the day. They've also developed robots to play football, as in... Uh, proper football, not any of the American or Australian uh, versions. Can you see robot rugby taking off, James? I mean, you know, the way I mean, England have been trying to to impose this on on the world for for many decades in the way they play the game, but but still using actual physical humans. But I mean, do, do you see robot rugby as an improvement? Uh, no, no. I th- I think I think if there's a top five things we we should not teach the robots, tackling is definitely <laughs> up there. <laughs> <laughs> don't teach him to chase don't teach him to cha- tackle that's terminator 101 i would love to see a, a human try to explain the inexplicable homoeroticism of a scrum to a robot <laughs> it's just a transformer combiner isn't it that's all it is i mean if we want to break the robots we just show them footage of aussie rules and get them to try and understand that <laughs> Air travel news now, and uh, Alice, you are uh, the Bugles air travel correspondent, um, having jetted from hemisphere to hemisphere uh, so many times until uh, until the last eighteen months or so. Um, bring us up to date with what is you know, potentially one of the most exciting developments in in the history of air travel. Well, this is a massive innovation, Andy, and a massive innovation in the air. A, a budget Ukrainian airline has allowed its air hostesses. Uh, to not wear high heels in the sky, uh, which they've, they've revamped their uniforms to great controversy. Some people are very upset by this. Some people are very happy about it. Move over, suffragettes, contraceptive pills, hashtag me too. <laughs> this is a much more significant moment in feminist history. Uh, the, 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 the airline is called Sky Up, and the flight attendants will be allowed to wear trainers in the sky. Uh, one of the flight attendants said uh, when asked to comment that 12 hours in heels is extremely painful, following up with a long noise in Ukrainian that translates to f***ing obviously everyone wants to take their <laughs> shoes off on a long flight. You think we want to bring you your tiny bottles of overpriced liquor in foot knives? I love teetering about on my tippy toes thousands of feet in the air, you f***heads. Anyway... <laughs> I just find this story so funny because it seems so incredibly overdue, the idea that women should be wearing heels in the sky. Uh, <laughs> literally, literally uh, just, just feels like an outdated, leftover uh, piece of garbage. But, uh, James, do you have other opinions? Do you, like, do you like your women slightly taller than they should be? <laughs> I just have to pause. I almost walked myself into a family argument on a, on a joke there about my Pacific Island cousins. Um, but let me tell you, where does it end? That's my only concern, Alice. You know, yep. where does it end? If we, if we start letting uh, air hostesses wear sneakers, then soon they're just going to be only wearing the skirt and the blazer for the check-in and then changing into track pants. They'll be pushing the cart up in comfy socks. Uh, probably have one of those neck pillow things around as well for when they sit down. I mean, if we make these people comfortable, then they're going to start being happy. <laughs> and no one wants a happy flight attendant on an 18-hour flight. 
Well, this is this is a dominoes situation because a number of airlines are giving up traditional uh, uniform requirements. Virgin Atlantic has allowed their flight attendants to not wear makeup. Japan Airline has allowed their flight attendants to wear trousers instead of pencil skirts if they ever want to take a step longer than half a foot. And uh, Norwegian Air has allowed flat shoes as well. So it's how will you know? I think this is the real question. How will you know in the air um, who's the airline host and who's just the the idiot in tracky dack sitting next to you. It's because it's the airline host is the only one who's obliged to smile. That's. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, until uh, you know, air, air hosts have full freedom of footwear, we won't live in a truly equal planet. You know, until we have, you know, the the the, the um, flight attendants wearing you know welly boots or pointy-toed medieval poulains or clown shoes or high-toed shoes rather than the high-heeled ones. That I mean, that's just. Clearly, another form of prejudice. We won't. We won't have a, f- a fair planet. The media reaction <laughs> has been uh, interesting um, uh, to this, you know, latest dismantling of uh, of patriarchal tradition. Brimstone Florkit in the Daily Telegraphal said, "This is feminism gone mad. Whatever next? Will we allow them to daub our faces with masonry paint instead of serving us a gin and tonic?" Uh, Darnell Ramahorn from the Weekly Bleats: "This is bad for passengers. Flight attendants will be shorter without heels and therefore less able to see down the aisle when I want another whiskey." Will the airlines provide them with periscopes? Don't hold your breath. And uh, Garforth Snelly from Anachronicity.com, the only paper-based website on the internet, said, whatever next, will male flight attendants be forced to wear bras? Why can't we let men be men and women be what men think women should be? (laughs) So, strong media reaction to it. Um, Elsewhere in um, the progress of feminism news, uh, Alice, um, a big story in the world of chess, FIDE, the chess governing body, has um, provoked anger amongst uh, many chess players by a, a sponsorship deal with a company that specialises in breast enlargement surgery. Um, I mean, chess at its heart is a feminist game, a useless man dependent on a high-skilled, high-achieving woman. But I mean, this doesn't seem to be the kind of sponsorship deal that's uh, a game stroke sport looking to progress in the 21st century should be signing does it well is it a feminist game andy or is it a a game where the queen multitasks zips all around the board and then the (laughs) plodding king gets credit for being the vital piece moving one square at a time while she can run the whole board in one go if they're married she is 20 years younger than him and he still tells her to get botox that is the situation that we're in well, I don't know. If they didn't want chess to make them think about boobs, they shouldn't have made the bishop's heads look like little nipples. I, <laughs> they said also. We, we all know that checkmate has always been short for check out those tits, mate. <laughs> we, we, we all, of course, we all know that. Um, <laughs> we are in the middle of party conference season here in the UK. We will have a full update on it next week. We had the Labour conference uh, last week. Just received the final confirmed score. Labour Party nil. The Labour Party nil. Um, to go into a replay uh, yet again between those two age-old foes and struggling for party unity. So, I mean, for most of the Labour Party, Unit E is the one between Unit D and Unit F at the storage depot where they dump the boxes and boxes of unusable congratulations you won an election balloons. This week we have the uh, Conservative Party conference. We will have uh, full updates on exactly how they've tried to spin all the shit that's currently going on. Uh, uh, right, I think we need to wrap up because we've done uh, we've done an hour. Unless there's anything else you desperately wanted to get out. Great. I mean, 
Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably shouldn't use those words. <laughs> we just had a hope that these have all been uh, Braxton Hicks's throughout yes. the last hour or so. All right. Uh, <laughs> I right. think they are. <laughs> well, I, do, I, do, I mean, it, we're, we're happy to live stream it if you want, Alice. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of uh, this week's Bugle, which um, uh, will be the, the last Bugle that um, Alice uh, will will do before having a a baby on the outside of her rather than the the, the inside. Good luck. Um, I would say enjoy it. I don't know if that's the, the right thing to, to, to say at this. Uh, I mean, long term obviously is uh, short term. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Um, I don't take a scrabble. Board, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested to see how it goes, Andy. People yes. keep asking me. Very nice buglers keep asking me for a PO box to send gifts. Uh, I don't want your stupid gifts. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> once I get a secretary to help me get organised enough to hire a secretary who's brave enough to fire the original secretary, I'll get that secretary to sort out a PO box for me. Until then, you can just send uh, support or threats in the form of subscribing to my Patreon or my Twitter or <laughs> finding. A donation button somewhere and just giving money to anyone really that'd make me happy just be nice <laughs> Good advice. be nice to each other and create a world that i can birth my child into I mean, that is hopelessly naive <laughs> but it's a lovely sentiment um uh, james any uh, anything to alert our listeners to um I, I would i would offer to let them send me gifts but i'm currently <laughs> podcasting uh, from my wife's childhood bedroom and I just think I've already put enough pressure on my in-laws but without random gifts from podcast fans showing up in the mail I think you know uh, so I, I do have a mental health podcast which it seems might be like, good for some people at this point and, and season four has just uh, come out uh, of, of that uh, which involves eating chicken in a shower and talking about how insane the world is uh, which I just recommend for people anyway whether they listen to the podcast or not uh, that concludes uh, this week's Bugle. We will continue with the second uh, half millennium of Bugle shows uh, next week. In the meantime, here are some lies about our premium level voluntary subscribers. If you want to join the Bugle voluntary subscription scheme to make a recurring or one-off contribution to help keep the show going for the next 49,500 episodes, go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button. Timothy Chilvers is never that fussed by the number of dead insects on the windscreens of cars. I think it's testament to the arrogance of these quite literally spinous blowhards, expounds Timothy. They think they're tough and cool because of their compound eyes or very fastly flapping wings or exoskeletons or whatever, and that they can take on a car. Well, get this, splatties of the roads. Know your level. I'll take the car plus human driver every time. Unless you get inside the car while it's being driven, of course, in which case it's more like 50-50, concedes Timothy. Greg Lazarev is not convinced that rainforests are particularly well designed, given how important we are told they are for the planet. It seems a bit silly to pile all your resources into concentrated distinct areas, says Greg, leaving them vulnerable to mass destruction. Surely it would be better if everybody in the world had maybe two or three trees to themselves, rather than outsourcing it to a few key areas of billions of trees of rainforest around the world. It might make us take a bit more responsibility, as well as giving us the chance to find an exciting new undiscovered species of something in our tree. 
Charlie Vickery thinks that people make too much fuss about Leonardo da Vinci designing a helicopter. Look, the guy had some funky ideas, I get that, says Charlie, but what was the point of a chopper in 1480s Italy? There weren't any helipads for a start, so where would he have flown to and from? And what if his helicopter designs were as crap as his seating plans at team building dinners out? I mean, seriously, 13 dudes all on the same side of the table. Look, I get that the 13 ladies didn't show up for whatever reason, but even so, you go boy, girl, boy, girl, don't you? It's absolutely basic stuff, complains Charlie. Andre Amore once bought an old oil lamp at an antique shop and excitedly took it home in the hope and indeed expectation that it would contain a magic genie that would grant him some wishes. On rubbing the lamp, a genie did indeed emerge, but was quite rude, claimed he couldn't do anything more ambitious than a couple of free meals at the local kebab shop, and swore at Andre's next-door neighbours when they knocked on the door, asking if the genie could help find their missing cat. Andre asked the genie to go back inside his lamp and then put it in the metal recycling. By contrast, Helena Thomas had a delightfully polite genie emerge from an old lamp she found at a charity shop. Unfortunately, the genie, for all its conversational charm and impeccable diction, confessed to being, quotes, really out of form these days after losing confidence when an attempt to summon a brand new Lamborghini resulted in a skimpy sheepskin swimming costume, whilst another wish for a never-ending milkshake resulted in a traumatised cow and a small earthquake. And finally, someone who goes by the name of Ingve J can relate to the experience of a non-functioning genie, having had the misfortune to summon one who tearfully admitted to being on their first job, and only being a genie after themselves accidentally wishing to swap places with their own genie, having meant to ask to swap places with Hugh Grant, but not clearly enunciating the first H of Hugh. The rookie genie was thus unable to successfully grant any of Ingvi's wishes, the contents of which we are not liberty to divulge. Suffice it to say that someone really wants a fire-breathing dog, and someone's dog is now terrified of candles. Here endeth this week's lies. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss lime bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.